What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ. Going back to Genesis 1, in that when God created men and women, He created them with a deep need for each other. And if you believe that men and women are equal in worth and value, but made distinctly different as male and female, and that together they image God in the world, then you believe that they need to be together and work together. And so dominance actually has no place in the biblical narrative because we we need one another and we are actually better together than we are with one dominating over the other. For Christian men and women, we must always be taking on the form of a servant and saying, how can we together serve one another, serve faithfully, valuing and honoring each other, valuing the gifts that we contribute, and seeing each other as co-contributors to the creation mandate to go and make disciples of all nations. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Todd, and you just heard from Courtney Rasig, a Christian author, a wife, and a mother. Courtney has written for numerous Christian publications, including uh, the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, and several blogs, and she has also written several books. So in this episode, we talk specifically about two of her books. One of them is called The Accidental Feminist, and then her most recent book is titled Teach Me to Feel. It's a devotional book on expressing emotions to God through the book of Psalms. We talk about the topics of modern feminism, gender roles through a biblical perspective, as well as how the book of Psalms helps us face different emotions through life's trials and triumphs. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Courtney. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing great. I'm really excited to talk to you. So I'm super intrigued. You sometimes call yourself an accidental feminist. In fact, it's the title of one of your books. So what's behind that title? I will be honest, I have not read this book, but I'm very intrigued. Yeah, so the title of that book kind of comes from the understanding that uh, we don't realize how we've adopted like feminist ideology. Uh, we kind of swim in the culture of, of feminist ideology and don't realize that we live out feminism and don't, that we, it's, it's just a kind of a cultural way that we live. And so I kind of wrote the book to kind of uncover some of the things that we believe about women that the culture has told us, and we don't actually realize what the Bible says about it. So I would say that some Christians would not identify as a feminist, but then, um, or they would identify as a feminist, but they don't understand what it means. So the book was trying to kind of unpack some of the things that are are true about feminism and maybe good about feminism, but then some of the things that um, are maybe unhelpful about feminism. So let's let's pause here for a moment. When you're saying feminism ideology, let's let's clarify that. What what are we specifically talking about? Because there is so much out there right now. So let's like let's create this base of what what are we talking about when you say feminist ideology? 
Yeah. So the book was written about seven years ago. So a lot of things are different now than, than even then. So, um, what um, probably for for now in in our current cultural moment, I think people would say that um, so, like the, the ideology that would go against scripture. So I think all Christians can agree that um, men and women are equal in worth and value and dignity. I think that Christians can and should agree that feminism brought about some really good things for women that unfortunately the church didn't do, and so. I think we could all, if feminism is only about equality and if feminism is only about value and dignity and being treated with, um, as fellow image bearers of God, then I would say, yeah, we're all feminists. But the reality is that feminism also has morphed into other things like the abortion rights movement, the ability to terminate a pregnancy or um, have sex like a man has sex without having the implications of having a baby or um, even kind of blurring the differences between men and women, that has become kind of the mantra of feminism. And so I think that as Christians, we we have a better answer than equality of the sexes equal sameness. We value the differences in men and women because the differences in men and women are what uh, we both image God differently. And so we, we actually need men to image God as men and women to image God as women in order to reflect what it means to be image bearers together. So let's let's talk about that. As women, how do we bear the image of God in your view? Yeah, so I would say that a woman images God by, um, I think it's really counterculture right now to say that you're a woman because God made you a woman. That's unchanging. And so I think that the, the danger in, um, I think, Christian culture is to say that there's a set view, the set list of what it means to be a woman. And if you do these things then you're a godly woman. And so I'm less inclined to say that you image God as a woman by doing X, Y, and Z, and more inclined to say that you image God as a woman by what the Bible says it means to just be human and to be, you're a woman because God made you a woman because God created you. And so that you're, you are a product of your creator. And so that in and of itself is unchanging. What that looks like in your life looks different than every uh, than a woman maybe across the world or a woman who lives next door to you because every person has different giftings and seasons of life and socioeconomic statuses. And so I think that it's harder to pin down, which is where I think we've gotten into trouble as Christians, is that we've tried to pin down, this is what a godly woman does. And if she does these things, then she's a biblical woman. The problem is, is that has not translated um, across the spectrum of women in other cultures and other countries and other socioeconomic statuses. And so I think that I would be, I think it's better to say that you image God as a woman by loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, and recognizing that being female is a good thing and how that plays out. If you are connected to the true vine, as, as, as John 15 says, you're connected to the vine, you're going to bear fruit as a believer. And so that fruit that's going to come out of you is going to be being a godly woman or a godly man, because you will live out what it means to be an image bearer if you know the one who you're imaging. And I think we spend too much time trying to figure out what does it mean to be a man or woman? And we should spend more time saying, what does it mean to be a human? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And what does it mean to follow the Lord? And when we do that, then we're going to bear fruit. And part of that fruit is going to be being a godly woman or a godly man. So I'm going to 
step into this loaded, probably, territory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Along with this issue within Christian circles, there is also a lot of discussion about, you know, what is a woman's position in the church and in ministry. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. There's a variety of spectrum of where a woman lands in the church. And I think that you can be a faithful Christian and come to different conclusions. I think scripture is clear that the role of elder or pastor is limited to qualified men. So not any man, uh, not just because you're a man, you get to be a pastor. It's that you're qualified, that there's these biblical qualifications in First Timothy and in Titus that someone has to adhere to in order to be qualified to be an elder or pastor and to lead the church. Besides that, I think there's just a lot of gray in where women fit. I think it's really clear that if you think of the church as the family of God, what does a family look like? A family has mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, children, babies. And so, and and that makes sense within the, the whole path of discipleship that you begin as a newborn infant, as a believer, you are not ready for solid food yet. And then you grow into maturity. Sometimes the church can limit women and what they're able to do unnecessarily out of fear of maybe being biblically unfaithful. So I think that a woman can do in the church anything that is non-elder specific. So I would say that a position in a church could be filled by a woman. Women are absolutely necessary in the family of God, and they're absolutely necessary in the church, and they're absolutely necessary in society at large. And you see in the creation, in creation when men and women, Adam and Eve were created, it was said that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He needed a helper. He needed, and I think sometimes we say, oh, he needed someone to come and like support him and be kind of like an assistant to him. But really, they were given the creation mandate to go and, and fulfill and fill the earth with God's glory, fellow image bearers together. And so they were both needed for that that task. And then when the Great Commission comes on the scene in Matthew 28, and Jesus makes a new family of God, then we have within the Great Commission, we are all called to make disciples. And so a woman is as necessary as a man in the task of filling the family of God with more disciples. And I think as, as Christians, we should be thinking in the church of how can we allow everyone to flourish in the family of God? recognizing that we have this biblical qualification for elder elder in the church, which is unique and specific to qualified men. And from there, I think we have a lot of gray of where that where people land convictionally on different things. Well, and this is a very interesting subject because, you know, we have the writings of Paul and Paul is very explicit on, you know, his view of the of the structure of the church. And Mm -hmm. so we have that uh, scriptural example at the same time. So I'm a woman in full time ministry and missions work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I get to travel all across the world and visit churches, you know, all across the world as as long as different churches here in the United States. And here's the situation. The majority of the congregation in the United States and overseas are women. So let's face it, if you compare the numbers, we have more women in church than men. Mm-hmm. We have more women going out as missionaries to other countries than men. So I think when the situation like this happens, there's probably going to be a room, you know, God's work is going to be accomplished and God will use Mm -hmm. the person who is available, you know, the person who is willing. And so, you know, we see in the scripture, God used an animal, a donkey to speak (laughs) when he needed to use an animal. And so I think that, and so 
you know, I, I completely agree with scripture and, and with what you said, but at the same time, I feel like when God's work needs to be accomplished, if there is not going to be a man available, he's going to use a woman. You know, he's going to use a person mm-hmm. who has a pure heart, who is willing, mm-hmm. whether it's being a pastor. You know, I've uh, uh, encountered so many churches on the mission field that are being pastored by women because there's just no man leader in that church, you know, and, and right, the right, right. doing a phenomenal job leading a church and being a pastor. Anyway, this this is an uh, interesting subject, especially considering the times when we live in and when the feminist movement is not anymore about equality. So there's been a shift, you know, the feminist Mm -hmm. movement, I think, initially started as the movement to champion the equality of women, but now it's about the dominance. So <laughs> that's the- yes. And that's dangerous. I mean, that's dangerous yeah. for, because that's not how it was wrong for men to be dominant and is wrong for women to be dominant. Right. We need both to be working together. So such as I think human nature, we just gravitate mm-hmm. towards unhealthy extremes. And so we do, uh, yeah. I think that's what's happening with the feminist movement. So more recently, you came out with a new book mm-hmm. and the title of it is Teach Me to Feel. So I mm-hmm. want to talk about that too. So, and I think, you know, it's not just probably you didn't write it just for women, although we are more mm-hmm. emotional, <laughs> I suppose, mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. men just by nature. But, you know, emotions, uh, you based this book on the book of Psalms, which was written mm-hmm. by men. So and and uh, yeah. uh, who are um, expressing various emotions. So what what prompted you to write that book? I had been studying the Psalms because I was teaching a Bible study on the Psalms and wisdom literature. And so I had spent a significant amount of time in the Psalms and really came to appreciate the uh, structure of it and how I saw it being um, just a way for the people of God to express how they feel and their emotions and their prayers back to God. I, I saw it really as the Lord giving people language for the variety of experiences they walk through in life. And then the Lord really used the Psalms to minister to me in a crisis in our own family. And so through that, I spent a significant amount of time in the Psalms. The book was kind of born out of a personal experience, but it also was born out of a desire to continue to study the Psalms. And I was my hope was that people would see that the Psalms I think sometimes we look at the Bible as it's there to teach us something and it is there to teach us something. And the Psalms do teach us something about God. But what's really comforting about the Psalms is that it shows us that God, God cares about every single facet of our lives. He cares about our, our emotional experience. He cares about our physical experience. He cares about our knowledge experience in our head. And so he really comes and meets us in our crisis in life and our, our great joys in life and gives us words for how to express our joy and our pain back to him. Let's uh, talk about some of the examples um, that you examine in the book. Yeah. So there's a, um, my editor was really funny and he was like, you can't have all sad emotions in, in the book. And so we work through things like when you feel betrayed, like in Psalm 55, where, um, and what's really helpful is in a lot of the Psalms have a corresponding narrative that lets you know what's happening there. So in Psalm 55, there's this corresponding narrative of what's happening in first and second in second Samuel with David's betrayal by people who were his companions and his friends. And so 
it, those are helpful to read side by side and see that this is a real person who was betrayed by someone who was close to him. And then he wrote this prayer back to the Lord while he was walking through this betrayal. And as believers, we can see that we're not the first or the last person who's ever walked in the, on earth to experience these emotions, and we're not left to ourselves. And so often when we walk through a crisis, our default position is maybe to spin our wheels or to confess it to a friend or to try to just like think it, think to try to control it with thinking about it or processing it with someone else. And what the Psalms really do is say, take this to the Lord, like take this to the only one who can deal with what you're walking through. And there's other places like Psalm, um, Psalm 88, where he is completely alone. This is another psalmist, he man, the Ezraite, and he is feels like the Lord's forgotten him. And what's helpful there is you can look back in First and Second Chronicles and and First and Second Kings, and you can see that he was a godly man who who served in the temple. And so this is this is not some random person who is walking through the depths of despair and doesn't actually know who God is. He is someone who walks deeply with the Lord and yet walks through times of despair. And there are times in his life where he feels like God has forgotten him. And so that's very helpful to us to see that that you can be godly and you can love the Lord and you can also experience this dark night of the soul, soul where you feel like God is not there. And so, and then we have other Psalms where you feel like the Lord has sustained you. You're walking through a time of great joy and you, all you can see are the ways that the Lord is good to you. And the psalmist writes Psalms like that and Psalms where he's talking about that he's dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And he's looking at the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. And so I think that there's, there's a a myriad of emotions that we feel throughout life. And we, we are meant to cry out to the Lord in our distress, but we're also meant to take our joy and our deliverance back to him as well in Psalms of Thanksgiving. And so, uh, yeah, there's just a many, many emotions and different feelings that we experience that the Psalms really help us walk through. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't think we're at the, uh, the most dangerous moment in our relationship with God when we're in despair. I think it's when we're at our triumph. <laughs> that's yes. when we're yeah, in the yeah, danger yeah, zone, yeah. you know? That's right, when we right. feel like, I did it, you know? And so we less think of God. Right. And I think that's where the Psalms of Thanksgiving are so important because they frame our behavior and our right. our attitude towards God, how important it is not to forget to give the thanksgiving to God, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, we're probably, you're right. We're at our most dangerous when things are going really well. It's very easy to think it's all in your own strength. And so, um, so you mentioned that it was inspired by how the book of Psalms helped you in your personal crisis. I, uh, would you like to share about that, your personal experience with that? I was uh, 33 weeks pregnant with my fourth son, and that we had, I had a, a complication, which a placenta abruption, where it was partial abruption. So I was put in the hospital on continuous monitoring to try to make sure that he was okay and that I was okay. And so we were there for three weeks of like kind of this up and down season in the hospital of whether or not he would be delivered early, whether or not he'd be delivered okay, whether or not I would be okay. Um, it's a it's a pregnancy complication that leads to death in both the mom and the baby. And it's usually a really, a really quick, quick death. And so so we spent a long time in the hospital and then he was born early and we had to spend time in the NICU and Throughout, I used to think that hospital bed rest was something where you could like, 
you know, watch TV and people bring you food and then it would be really restful. And for me, I just really could never feel like calm or relaxed or restful, but I could read the Psalms. And I felt like when I was reading the Psalms, I felt like I had friends who understood my fear and my anxiety and my distress. And so I just spent so much time in the Psalms while that month that we were there. But then also I had some like PTSD and then postpartum depression afterwards. And I stayed in the Psalms for a whole nother year after that of just really having to process through what it means to live in a broken body in a broken world. And the Lord was really gracious to me in that time and helping me see that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the, that I had not only the Lord was with me, but he'd also given me his word to sustain me and not just like this. Sometimes I think we, we want to just remember like truth, like truths, and that's going to sustain us and truth, true things sustain us. But sometimes we need to know that like people understand us. And I felt in the Psalms, I really sense that I knew that people, there are people who'd walk before me who understood what I was walking through. And, uh, yeah. And so the book was kind of born out of that. I spent a lot of time in the Psalms and then about a year or so after that, I started working on the book. That's awesome. And I think this is so like God, you know, to take our personal struggle that he allowed us to go through and then bring something great out of it. Like in your case, as a mm-hmm, book of mm-hmm. encouragement, you know, for other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the subject of that book. So as, as we talked in the beginning of our conversation about the womanhood and what it means to be uh, a woman in Christ, how do you think Christian women can influence the culture today, especially in the light, in the light of, you know, the, the feminism that is headed towards the extreme of dominance uh, of females over males? What would you say is the role of a Christian woman and how uh, a Christian woman can influence the culture and society today in the best possible way? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is going back to Genesis 1 in that when God created men and women, he created them with a deep need for each other. And if you believe that men and women are equal in worth and value, but made distinctly different as male and female, and that together they image God in the world, then you believe that they need to be together and work together. And so dominance actually has no place in the biblical narrative because we, we need one another. And we are actually better together than we are with one dominating over the other. And I also think too, when you look at the pattern of Christ, even Christ too, like in Philippians too, he he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And I think that for Christian men and women, we must always be taking on the form of a servant and saying, how can we together serve one another, serve faithfully, valuing and honoring each other, valuing the gifts that we contribute and seeing each other as co-contributors to the creation mandate to go and make disciples of all nations. And we, there's so much work to be done that when we spend our time trying to think in terms of like who's in charge and who's not in charge, then we miss the very real work and very good work that needs to happen to make disciples. And I think that there, yeah, there's a Christian women honor the Lord in a culture that doesn't honor men and women rightly by valuing the men who God has put in, in their place. But I think that the, the same charge needs to be made to Christian men is that when you, you need to value the women in your life and value their contribution in the church and tell a watching world that we believe men and women are better together. And instead of saying that one needs to be in charge over the other. 
You know, I agree. I, and I think, correct me if I'm not understanding what you're saying correctly, but, you know, there is no Christian woman without a man and no Christian man without a woman. <laughs> like our roles are... Right, uh, right. You know, we, don't, we don't have a role without each other. We're interconnected. Right. You know? um, right, in, in right. society in general, you know, we, we need each other to procreate to to move the humanity forward and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i i think that to sum up our conversation you know we just need each other we we don't have for dominance we don't have to try to take each other's positions we just need to complement each other and serve each other as human beings and so so you know we have another movement and is uh, is uh literally eliminating gender in society now mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. uh where do you think how does this play into this whole scheme of things yeah i actually think that the fact that we've made too much of the distinctions between men and women and we've made them very rigid and cookie cutter like this is what a man does and this is what a woman does and if you don't do this or don't do this and you're not a man or a woman has actually given a lot of foothold to the transgender movement because the transgender movement then can come in and say well you don't fit this category and you don't fit this category therefore it doesn't matter you can be either anyone you want to be and so i think this is why i'm less inclined to to make some, this is what a godly woman is. And this is what a godly man is besides just being faithful to scripture and just loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because it manifests itself differently in people's lives. And so much of our distinctions between men and women are cultural distinctions and not biblical ones. And so Christians actually have the best answer for the transgender movement in saying, First, walking in humility and saying, we've, we've maybe gotten it wrong here. We've been a little bit too rigid. And then saying that there's a creator who's creator of all things. And he has created men and women different and distinct biologically, like that's unchanging. And it's all designed to point to his glory. And it's all designed to point to, to make disciples and to, to, to make more image bearers. And so I think that when we're not careful with making it about too rigid of distinctions, then we give a, then we give that foothold to the tra- transgender movement. But I think Christians, when we start talking about God as a creator, God is the author of all things, and he has made men and women, just made them male and female and called it good. And then letting walking in the spirit and walking in abiding in Christ, the true vine, play out what that looks like in someone's life. I mean, because I think what's so hard, we made it so rigid. And so this is what a woman does and this is what a man does. Instead of saying, if you are abiding in Christ, he is going to keep you and he is going to conform you into his image. And if you're a woman, he's going to conform you into his image as a woman. And if you're a man, he's going to conform you into his image as a man. Spend less time worrying about what that looks like and what you need to do and more time just abiding in Christ. I I think we would have less problems with the confusion that people have. And probably win more people for Christ, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Giving giving them the liberty to figure out their role in life, you know. Right. After they figure out their role in Christ. (laughs) After they're firm in that, you know, that they are the child of God. Right. um, Biologically created with female or male attributes, but first and foremost, a child of God then they can figure out for themselves what a Christian woman looks like and what a Christian man looks like. 
Right. I agree first and foremost that as Christians, we have the best answers to all these issues. You know, the, right. the position right. of a female, the position of a male, the the importance of gender. So we thank God for that, the giving us uh, his word. Well, right. thank you so much, Courtney, yeah. for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing. Um, and so we will post the links to your books in the show notes so that our listeners can uh, get a hold of your books if they want to read it. So um, best of luck to you in, in the work that you're doing for the Lord. hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Limitless Spirit Podcast. In my conversation with Courtney, we saw that God cares deeply about our emotions. He also cares deeply about our roles and how we complement each other in, in church and in family. We can thank God that He gives us answers to life's toughest questions and problems through His Word, and He continues to change lives through the power of the Bible. At World Missions Alliance, we believe that changed lives change lives. If you're interested in our work and would like to get involved, you can find out more information on our website, rfwma.org. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd. Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives change lives. If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.